0: Welcome back to She Can Talk, the podcast. I am your host, Colleen, a.k.a. Gangly MC on Instagram, if you're looking for that music, or Colleen Eat Wings, if you want to know what I'm eating lately, what food we got popping off, what sauces I'm using or trying out or reviewing, or what we're grilling, because it's warm out here now, you know, so we're grilling. So um, yeah, you can tune in there and check it out. Let me know what you all think. So I can't lie, guys, I'm going to be real honest with y'all this week. It is Friday. I came to y'all a little bit late this week because I had um, to take care of some things for myself and I couldn't talk. I was um, I had surgery this week. I had surgery. Um, dental surgery wasn't really like serious, but anytime someone's cutting you for anything, it is serious. So I was just kind of in a mind frame of like, let me focus on my health and make sure everything is good. And it is good. It is good. If I sound a little weird now, I am still under medicine, under, you know, meds. And then I am a little doped up so forgive me. But accountability is the reason why I said I wanted to come out here and still talk to you when I was able to talk because I'm still having a little, you know, I had like oh my god, a lot of work done, but um not I can't say it like that cuz I don't have fucked up teeth. But really what I did was like proactively removed wisdom teeth because it was causing a little irritation in the back of my mouth. And so that you have it, that as you know when you remove teeth, you you can swell up, you can have some pain, etc. So I'm just kind of going through all of the healing from that, and of course, it's in my mouth, so I couldn't really talk like that, and so the first day I was able to talk, which is today, I said, I'm going to reach out to you guys and say, hey, and just give you a little insight into my week, Um, what else did I do, busy, busy week, busy, busy week, I hope you guys checked out the um episode last week's episode with DJ Sarah Kay from Paris, France, we went ahead, I interviewed her live from Paris, France, she did a mini mix on the show, so dope, I will say Some of the mini mix came out a little weird on the, um, playback. So I have invited DJ Sarah K back out. We're going to do like maybe like a ladies round table one day. I'm going to have like a few guests that, you know, a few past guests on there. I'm going to talk about just a ladies round table and then maybe have some DJing at the end. I think that will be pretty dope. So if you like the episode, give it a thumbs up. If you like it, tell a friend, you know, my motto, if you like it, tell a friend, if you don't like it, still tell a friend. It's not going to hurt either way. Right? Okay. So yeah, um, did the interview? Did you did you like my um in my not my interview but my episode about um Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner, Marvin Gaye? When I tell you, I got a lot of feedback from that episode. Yeah, I guess you guys are like me. You like unknown, especially music type of stuff, and then crime stories. Yeah, so that episode I got a lot of um positive feedback, and then I also got a lot of you know people that was sending me tidbits like adding to it like oh yeah they knew this or they had a relative that knew this about them or hung out with them or they had an uncle or grandfather who was like a roadie or you know just so many different stories started coming out and I thought that was pretty cool because I like to always try to spark that type of conversation or spark that you know interest you know in people so thank you all for tuning in I really miss you guys when I don't talk to you all so this makes my day and thank you all for tuning in and, and and checking me out and spreading the word. You know, thank you for all the likes. Thank you for all the shares. Thank you for all the word of mouth, you know, love that I've been receiving. I truly, truly appreciate it. How can I forget, guys? I started a podcast, um, a She Can Talk podcast on IG page. So that way I can basically highlight whatever I'm doing for the podcast on that page. You guys can go follow it. So if you want to know where my music is, you already know that's gongly MC. If you want to know what I'm cooking or eating or reviewing as far as food is concerned that's Clean Eat Wings. If you want to know who's going to be on the podcast, what episode we're on or catch up with pre, you know past episodes, you can go to She Can Talk the podcast. Well, is She Can Talk Podcast on Instagram. And you already know if it's music or if it's music related, you want to submit music, you want to book me for a show, you can go over to DOE underscore records. That's DOE records. Now, all of these IGs can be found on the website DOE records.com. So if you just want to keep it simple, you can go over to DOE com and you can just contact me through there or... You can follow me here on all streaming platforms where podcasts are available and I will see you here every week. So yay. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for, um, just staying on the journey with me. I feel like I see the growth. I see like, like I told you guys, I started this just for GP, you know, like in the quarantine going through stuff like, okay, I'm bored. My mind is giving me, you know, like I need to do something to stay busy. And so that's what I did. In addition to like all the other stuff that I do, right? Like, how much more busy do you need to be, Khalid? But um, I just thought this was a way to get to the people, to talk to the people and get my person- personality out there to you all. So, <clears throat> with that being said, um, welcome, welcome back to a new episode. And thank you all for tuning in. Before, without further ado, before I go any further, I want to say rest in peace to DMX. Rest in peace to Black Rob. Rest in peace to Shock G from Digital Underground. We just been it's been back to back lately. They say good and bad comes in threes. This is definitely three right here. Um, yeah, and you know this weekend is supposed to be DMX's homegoing service, and that should be on YouTube and stuff like that. But um, just in addition to that, it's it's um it's a really emotional time for families of these artists as well as fans of these artists and friends as well. You know, so I send my love out to all of you as well, condolences out to everyone that's hurting around these recent deaths and um I'm sending you love. Love, light and energy. Love, light, and liftment, upliftment and energy. Positive energy. Because it's tough. It's a tough you know, tough times we're living in, yo, for real. So that's why um even though I be feeling like people get confused and shit and be really wanting to like Hold grudges or like are convinced that you're holding a grudge against them or whatever. I've tried my best right now to like not hold grudges. That's too much fucking time. It's too time consuming. Don't hold any grudges, guys. You know, love who love you. Celebrate. Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. That's my motto. And it actually it hits different. It hits different when you go around people that love you, when you go around people that care about you, right? So spend your time with with that. Don't worry about the people that hate you or don't worry about the people that don't like you they're irrelevant you know what i'm saying and they and you don't want to spend your energy on that so don't do that guys so with that being said spread love is a brooklyn way shout out to the simmons family shout out to black robs family i believe it's the ross family shout out to um Oh my God! Shock G's family, which is I believe the Raker family, and um Shock G, shout out to him. He was always in Ebor City out here in Tampa, like literally on a Saturday night, cause Ebor City is a very musical area. If you're in a band, if you do music, if you're a DJ, if you draw, you know that that you'll love the vibe and the energy of Ebor City, and um like a couple of times we'll like do shows and I'll be down there performing and then somebody will be like oh Shark G just walked past and I'm like oh shit weird I'm running to look and he's like gone you know one time I was performing on stage and he walked past and he was like yo Shock G just walked past he said he's gonna come back in but I had left before he did come back in I was disappointed in that myself personally but when he did come back in he took pictures with everyone he just showed everyone love you know and constantly it wasn't just like a one and done thing. This is constantly what he did in the Tampa Bay area. So I'd like to say that maybe we, to some degree, we might've been a second home for him out here in Tampa because he was here a lot, like a lot. I've seen him sightings of him since like 2018, you know, out Ybor city, just hanging around. Like this, really like, um, a native acting like he's native to the, to Tampa, you know, which was cool to see. But, um, once again, rest in peace to him. Cause that was like a double blow. Like we totally embraced him out here in the Bay area. And we totally was like, you know, loving his presence. So that's, you know, I'm sad to hear that that happened and rest in peace to all the legends, all the Kings out there. Um, yeah, I didn't want to really start it on a dark note, but I did. Sorry guys. It's just a, just a way of the world right now. Right. But, um, this episode, I wanted to talk about that show called them. Them is a show on Amazon prime. And I'm pretty sure if you go somewhere on the Internet, like if you don't have like an Amazon Prime subscription, you could probably still go and find it elsewhere. But Amazon is so legit, like I don't think you can find bootlegs of their shows. It's crazy. But um, yeah, it's called them um, executive produced by Lena Waithe. The main director is Little Marvin. And um, it's a very interesting show. I will tell you this. I saw the previews way way before the show released right the previews was very vague but it gave me an ideal or the feel of like um us is it yeah us with um isn't that the show called us with um Lupita Nyong'o I think that's her name and um a couple other characters right I thought it was gonna be similar to that I thought it was gonna be similar to like Get Out you know, so I was like, oh, and you know, it kind of had the same energy around it, even Lovecraft country to some degree, so I was like, okay, this should be interesting, because um, all of those of genres that I love, you know, like of shows, so when I actually sat down to watch this, and I tell you all, if you haven't watched this, I recommend it, but I also recommend you have a big-ass bottle of liquor, and the biggest ziploc of tree or DOC, best drug of choice. I don't you know, I digress on that because you're gonna need it by the time you're done. It's it's mentally, it's draining. Like it's draining on the brain, you know. But um, I've, I I I through it. The reason why I drudged through it because I wanted to be able to, you know, bring this to you guys as a review because it is a good show. And I try to highlight shows that are highlighting black people, you know, to bring that to not just my black listeners, but to all my listeners. So all genres from all diverse crowds can be appreciated, right? So, um, yeah, so I'm going to watch this show because I want to review it and then, you know, put my opinion up on it. So my opinion is this, like just to go off the rip, like, cause I'm going to break it down and go into a little in depth, but just off the rip, it was very confusing. It jumped around a lot for me. Right. So you would have to watch maybe a couple of episodes, like some of the more pivotal episodes a few times to really say, Hey, I understand what's going on. Now, if you have time for that, cause I really didn't, you know, so I would, I end up like taking me a couple of weeks, you know, like a day here, i watch a couple of episodes and I'm like, all right, I got shit to do. And I'll come back another day, watch another couple of episodes and I'm like, all right, I got shit to do and so forth and so on. So that's basically how it has been for me this whole time. Right. So, um, yeah, it took me a lot. I, it wasn't good. Like Lovecraft country where you want to sit through all of it. And sit in one sitting, sit and it had a lot of paranormal elements to it. And I don't know if they were doing that to keep the attention or maybe to try and get to the, you know, the the core of the, like the Lovecraft audience, I guess, to bring them in. Because it was like the same time frame, like in the 50s, black families, racism, old school, you know, 50s shit going on, redlining, all that stuff. You know, a lot of the stuff that was that black people had to deal with in those times and still today was still present. You know, it was present in the show, stuff that we still see today. It was present and relevant, but, um, the difference I would say between Lovecraft country and, um, the, uh, and them, that's the name of the show is, is a term that I've been seeing a lot in a couple of the groups, my discussion groups that I'm in. And, you know, you probably heard it trauma porn. Yeah. The difference between the two, although Lovecraft, Lovecraft country tr- had some triggering moments, and had some moments for you to talk about, like sundown towns, um, you know, like how they was harvesting the black people's body parts, um, the redlining of not being able to live in certain neighborhoods, and if you did move into the neighborhoods, what happened to you type of thing. Both of them um, highlighted that, right? And then, you know, they had the paranormal factor on Lovecraft, which made it just, like, next level. They added a paranormal factor to them, But to me, I feel like it wasn't the same. Like you were really battling entities or, you know, evil, you know, in Lovecraft country. And this, the evil that they were battling and the entities that they were battling were um, that of the actual mind. That's my conclusion. So I don't really think that they were actually having ghosts or demons that they were battling, but instead it was ghosts and demons of their mind that they were battling. So the reason why I say that is, let me kind of break it down a little bit. So it's four main characters on the show. It's the husband, Henry Emery, the wife, Lucky Emery, the oldest daughter, Ruby Emery, the youngest daughter, Gracie Emery. Now they do have a son who died as an infant and they do show flashbacks of him in there. And I want to say his name was Chester. So keep him in mind as well. So it was a family of, five that was reduced to a family of four from North Carolina it starts out with trauma porn immediately as soon as it opens up it's like you have a half a second of something peaceful and beautiful which is the mother or her children and she's cutting peaches feeding it to the baby in the kitchen next scene weird white lady walks up the actress who plays the lady's name is Dale Dickey and if you ever seen her in anything you know she plays that evil villain role really well You know, she just looks like an evil villain. I don't know if it's her features or what, but you you see her, you know this lady about to do some evil shit, right? So she was the actress who basically came to the house in North Carolina and caused trauma right at the beginning of the movie. But you don't really see what happens as far as exactly what she did until like maybe episode eight or nine. And you're like, damn, I knew it was some shit because I was getting triggered just from the first scene this is what happened, and then it, you're further triggered, right? So, warning, if you get triggered easily by, like, racism or things happening to black people, you might not want to watch this, and I'm just being honest. But um, I say that everyone should watch it. It shouldn't just be a black people thing that watch it because I don't, you know, as far as, like, on the receiving end, being black and watching a show like that, the trauma porn is triggering. But on the other end, like say, if you're not black, you know, and you're watching this, I hope that they do see it. And I do want to watch the show because maybe it'll give them a different perspective of what people had to go through, you know, in those times leading up to today you know, and to see how it's always been ongoing, because that was set in 1953, and they used a lot of factual scenarios, like redlining, moving, um, desegregating neighborhoods, desegregating schools in that time, you know, um, working jobs that were segregated, <clears throat> being qualified for a position, but they only hire you for a janitor, you know, but you have a degree as for engineering. You know, that type of stuff. So they do highlight um, those things in both movies, in Lovecraft, as well as in probably more prevalent in them. But I feel like, um, is this something that maybe white people should look at? You know, and I know white people are like, oh, my God, you always want us to look at something. You always want us to do this. You always want us to do that. But how can you truly have empathy for us as a people if you, if you don't even attempt to put yourselves in our shoes and kind of take, you know, take a look at what's going on, you know. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I, I'm not looking for um, white people to save us or nothing like that. But I think that we should be allies towards each other, you know. Black people and white people need to be allies towards each other. We're human. And that's all colors in between, too. It's just like, to me, black and white are the bookends. And you have everything else in between. But everyone needs to be allies towards each other. Because you just never know when and who would be the person that stands up for you when you need it, you know, like I've had that in my time where, you know, something might've happened. And then like, you know, saying you, you kind of needed just the good word of someone trustworthy to let them know like, yo, this is completely not her. You know what I'm saying? You could talk and talk to you blue in the face, but they're not going to listen to you. And then someone comes along that is, you know, trustworthy in the other person's eyes or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you know, clean's good. That's, that's not even her character, whatever the case is. Right and vouch for me as an ally. And um, we do need that for each other. And, v- and vice versa, I've done that for people, where I'm like, nah, you know, you're looking at this wrong. This person's not like that. Maybe maybe take a step back and look at it this way. So anyway, things won't blow out of proportion, you know. So I think that um, just overall, we need to be allies for each other and be more respectful and understanding to each other. We all go through shit, regardless of the color of our skin, you know. So, um, Which brings me back to them which was another perfect example that I um, I could say about the movie that was pretty good, was it kind of highlighted not just the black plight. Of course it was about a black family, so the trauma porn was in full effect. So trauma porn, let me get to it. So each of them, each character, the main four characters, had like some type of entity that was haunting them. The dad had like a Sambo man f- that was had that was painted in blackface, and you know doing the shucking and jiving dances, and he was like his conscience. Like this, the perception of it, of the interaction between this character and the main character, the husband, lets me feel like it was him, but it was like a caricature of him. If that makes any sense, it was like a a version of how he saw himself, right? And the character, the the Sambo kept on asking him, like, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? I kept on singing that shit. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? Like, and then, so after a while, I'm like, what the fuck he keeps asking? It. But so then I started to come to my own conclusion of he's asking him what he's going to do because he kind of sat by passively and a lot, and a lot of things happen to himself and his family passively as he sat by and it did nothing you know, so he became a victim. His wife became a victim. His kids became victims and he was very passive. Like it was a scene like shit, the dad, that was his biggest thing. You know, he, and that conscious of his basically was a Sambo and he, you know, I guess down deep down inside, he felt like he was a Sambo. Right. So it starts out in North Carolina, his, his mother, I mean, excuse me, his mother, his wife and his son gets assaulted. The son gets killed. He does nothing cause he wasn't there. Right. And then they're white people. So, you know, whatever. So then he works his way back up. He becomes an engineer and gets a job in California and moves his family to Compton. Compton in the fifties was white people. It wasn't like Compton we know today. Right. So, um, he moved them out there and he had family in Watts, which was like, a prominent black area. Watts right now is like so funny how ironically years later he got it spread up like or set up like this is, you don't want to go to Watts. People die out there. But back in these times, this was black families that were living out there, proud and prideful black families living in Watts. And, you know, basically part of the migration from the south to the west. And, you know, black pride. Family was important. And they showed it. So the the father, the husband, said he didn't want to move his family to Watts you know, of course, there's a lot of black people there, blah, blah, blah. I want to move my family to a nice house, a big house that I can afford in a neighborhood that I see my family living in. So he didn't really even, um, just based on the way the the episode was set up, he didn't even talk to his wife about the move or about the house. It was just like, they got in the car. She's like, I hope it works out. They pulled up at the house and then they got inside the house. And when he got inside, that's when he had to sign the actual deed to the house. And when he signed the deed, that's when the wife noticed there was a disclaimer that said, um, no one of black descent, no one with black, um, blood coursing through their veins can buy this house, own this house or live in this house. And that was like, and I'm paraphrasing guys. That's not it verbatim. Definitely watch the show, but, um, when I saw that, I I instantly thought of, you know, like, that's the fact that's redlining, you know, like I can tell you about me, which, and I gave this real estate agent a terrible review. Right. I don't know. Like, I don't think I carry myself like a hood person. I don't think, you know, maybe I have dreads. I have, I have locks, but, um, I don't think I walk around like, yo, what's up? You know, just whatever. Right. You know, I rap but um, I'm not leading with my rap, but I'm going to look for a house. You know what I'm saying? I'm leading with my credentials, right? And um, this real estate agent appeared nice, right? But he brought me to the worst of places that I would even go on my own. Like, fuck a real estate agent. I wouldn't go and look at a house in this area on my own. Why do you think it's okay to bring me here, right? So then I was like, still being, because this is like, you know, my first time going through that process. So I'm still like, okay, I'm going to give a benefit of the doubt. You know, I'm going to, you know, pick out areas that I want to look at and I'm going to give it to him and see if he'll find stuff in that area. So lo and behold, like where I live at now, it was like, you know, there's a couple of houses out here. Can we check out over there? All the houses that I picked, he was like, oh, this got a problem, that got a problem, this got a problem, that got a problem. All the houses I picked were nice in nice neighborhoods he's bringing me to the shittiest of holes that you think I'm going to take my hard-earned money and buy this and live in this you know and in his mind he's thinking that he's putting black people in their rightful home so let me tell you how I set him up and I don't give a fuck if he's listening I don't care fuck him but um so he went ahead and said Oh, yeah, you know, we, I'm going to continue to look for stuff because we're not finding anything that you like. You're not finding anything I like. I'm finding what I like. So, you know, Colossus and I found this house that we're in on our own. We went online and found it on our own. I reached out to the seller myself. I didn't have my quote-unquote bitch-ass real estate agent do it because he's clearly racist and he's clearly not working on my behalf he's working against me at this point but i didn't want to say that because you still don't want to feel like everyone's racist so i was like all right um i'm gonna go look at the house i came we came look at the house we put our offer in on the house already but now i gotta fire him because i don't need him at this point right so, I put in the offer for the house, everything like that. So, we come home now, and then Colossus was like, When are you gonna fire him? Because this dude keep on emailing you about with these all these little shacks, like we like we crackheads looking for a crack house. Get this nigga out of here, you know. So, I called him and I said, Hey, I found the house, you know. He's like, Sure, give me the address, I'll pull up the um, what is it, the you know, the, the information, see if I can get the keys out the lockbox so we can go check out the house. Mind you, I already checked out the house, already put an offer in, but I was like, All right. So I gave him the address. He said, like, let me check it out. I'll call you right back. He calls me back and tells me that this house had termites in it. It did not. Very nice home in a nice area with like, you know, a mixed crowd of families here. We got some blacks, some whites, some Spanish, like everyone lives over here. But he did not want to sell me this house. He was insistent. I'm trying to put me in some shack and some scanty hood that I don't, I'm not accustomed to. So instantly I just, you know, if anyone knows me, knows my motto, I have another motto when it comes to dealing with people is I give you a rope. It is up to you. You can either wrap that shit around your neck and jump off the building and hang yourself, or you could throw it up the side of the building and climb up to the next level. And I'll meet you at the next level. You know, that's my motto always been for years, over 20 years now. I, said, I give you the rope and you determine what you want to do with that shit. You can either use it as a fucking lifeline to climb it to the next level or wrap that shit around your neck and jump off and kill yourself. So I did the same thing with him, gave him the rope. He wrapped it around his neck, jumped off and killed himself. So when I see that I give you the rope and this is what you choose to do with it, I am just slapped. I was like, there's no, no, no more need for me to be professional. No more need for me to be nice. I was just like, yo, you're fired because you full of shit, yo. Did it, did it. I already put the offer in that house, blah, blah, blah. But it seemed like I'm black. And I think that's the problem with your fucking ass, yo. And I'm going to let everyone know about you because it's like you want to pull me into some crackhead house with some old pieces of shit, but you don't want to bring me to the nice neighborhoods. What the fuck is that? And I was so hot. And do you know, after I fired him, he kept on emailing. Kept, like, like he was mad that he could not get to trick me into, into some bullshit. That even when we closed on the house and moved into the house, the dude sent me a long email like, oh, I see you closed on your house, but if you would have let me help you with the house, you could have got your carpet cleaned at your um at your condo before. you like, I don't give a fuck about that condo. I don't own it. I was renting that. I'm owning this. I don't give a fuck about a no carpet shampooing. You know what I'm saying? Like the things that you think is going to excite me, that doesn't excite me. And the things that you think is going to impress me, this, this, this is bullshit. And, stop, and I had to like tell him, like, oh, please refrain from emailing me because I feel like you're harassing me now. And I will have to reach out to your superiors, which I did. I reached out, reported him to Zillow, everyone else. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, you didn't have to do that. Yes, I did. Because you need to learn a lesson, you know. And that was my rant. So I've experienced it in 2016. Okay. So... 1953, even worse, because now they try to do it with a little bit of like, oh, if I act like I'm nice and I act like I'm, you know, working with you, but I'm feeding you shit the whole time, you're going to eat it. You know, that's how they move nowadays. Back then they was like, this is shit. You're going to eat it. Merry Christmas, you know? And so, um, yeah, that's what they did in the movie. They basically bought this house, but it was a different type of redlining. Redlining was over, but now it was at a point when the economy was hurting because, no, there's no more white people that was really buying homes like this, you know? And then they were seeing that the black people, there were income. There was income in the black homes. Not everybody was poor. Not everybody had fucked up credit. Like I said, the father of this particular story was an engineer. So just to let you know, like he wasn't a janitor. He wasn't a, a street corner dude. He was an engineer. So, um, they started to see that the same banks that was denying black people loans, denying black people, credit mortgages, etc., started to see like, yo, you know what? Some of our white allies, our white customers here are not as financially fit as some of these black people. And the only thing that's holding us from approving them is because they're black. So some of them started to let them in just because it was a money thing, not because of a compassion thing, not because of an ally thing, because of a financial thing. Like, hey, we can benefit if we get certain people to move over here and then they're gonna sell, they're gonna tell certain people like themselves to move over here. And so their hopes was in hopes of getting like-minded and the best of the black people to come move out to their areas, pay the rent, pay the mortgage, but still be tortured. Right. (sniffs) Craziness. So the dad was victim of that. He wanted a better life for his family. So he, you know, got a better job, moved them to California. In California was worse than when he was in North Carolina. To me, I feel like the Sambo represented You know, that was the the ghost, the dad's ghost or whatever, the sample. He represented how oblivious the dad was. That's why he kept on asking, like, what you going to do? What you going to do? Like, you don't see this? Let me show you this. Like, he was, like, showing him different things and showing him, like, how he was oblivious over here having a good time when his wife was at home being raped and his son being murdered. You know, like, just showing him all this stuff playing over and over again. So, to me, I felt like that was his maybe his guilty conscience saying, hey, you know, I messed up. I wasn't there for my family when they needed me. I'm not a man because of it. You know, that type of thing, you know? And then there's that other part where, you know, they want what? They want the American dream. They want to be um, living next door to their white counterparts and, you know, working alongside their white counterparts and not feel like, you know, it's a charity situation or whatever. Right. So the dad definitely tried his best there, but his, his demon to me was just the fact that, um, he was oblivious all around. He was oblivious to his wife's pain. He was oblivious to his daughter's pain. He was oblivious to, um, the neighbor's pains, you know what I'm saying? And, even at like when he dropped, it was a scene where he dropped off his daughter at school. The daughter has a Teen Vogue magazine in her hand, which is like an all white girl little magazine, especially back in those days. And um, he drops her off at an all white school. Literally, she's like the only black girl about to walk into the school. And they just start like she gets out the car. Like they don't care that her father's there. They just start talking like, you know, flexing at her and mean mugging her. They slam the door on her face. Everybody skipping her in the line. She can't even get into the building. And the dad looks, and he's like, bye, and drives away. So to me, he's oblivious. Like, yo, you just fed your daughter to a den of wolves, and you're not even thinking about, like, how this might, you know, affect her mentally, you know? And then the thing about it is he was like a war vet that came back from you know, the war and had PTSD and he wanted the family to understand and deal with him as he worked while he worked his way through his PTSD. But it's like, well, the weird thing is, is, as soon as he was able to work through it, he traumatized the family. So it was like, he kind of gave them his PTSD, if that makes any sense. So yeah, it was just like, he did a lot of oblivious shit, like, you know, with that deed and it was like, no black people could live in a house. And he signed it, and the wife is like, "What are we doing? We don't need to be here." He's like, "No, it's fine." Then he leaves to go to work, and he sees all these white ladies out front, you know, waiting, you know, playing music, staring, looking at his window, like thirty white women. And he's just like, "Oh, goodbye, well, honey. I'm going to work." You know, he drops off the door at school. She gets harassed. Have a good day at school. It's like everything. The dad was oblivious to every fucking thing. So yeah, the, he needed that to be like, "What are you gonna do about this shit? Because you're not doing nothing." you know, and then at one point he probably, you know, you could see like he kind of felt helpless because it's like he is hurting his family more than helping them. So he was contemplating suicide and you could see it because if I can make sense, you were just oblivious. And by the time you realized what was going on, it was too late. So that was his demon. Um, The mother's demon was in the form of a white man, ironically, but um also the devil. You know, black women tend to be We tend to be, what's the word I'm looking for? Religious, right? We tend to be spiritually connected, like the matriarchs in the family. Like, you know, um your grandmother, your mother would be more prone to tell you to pray about something versus taking action on something, you know, like, um, so that's what women represent, like the matriarch, the maternal side, the spirituality, the spiritual side as well. Like, you know, praying, having faith and believing in God, God will make a way, God will make a change. Right. So the irony of this is that her ghost was actually a ghost that had made a pact with the devil. He was a white preacher man back in the days that made a pact with the devil, who was ultimately a, I don't know, uh, a hater of all humans or all people in particular, black people. And basically he made a pact with the devil to haunt and destroy black people. So where his house was years ago is now where their house is built on. So when she goes into the basement, she's like haunted by this ghost. And she was at first thinking it was her neighbors, like trying to make her seem like she's crazy, like breaking into the house and doing things. But, in reality, it was kind of like her mind as well. Right. And her mind is, um, spirituality. Like I'm going to pray to God. God is going to make a way, you know, I'm fine. I'm going to pray about it when you know you're not fine and you might need some psychiatric help or someone, you know, a mental health assistance versus just praying on it. You can pray, but, um, prayer without action is nothing. That's what I've heard. So that's what I think I've kind of gotten from like her, the wife's, you know, point of view and her demons. It's like, um, you she didn't really deal with the trauma that she experienced when she lost her son. She just kinda went on from there, like, you know what I'm saying? Didn't deal with it. So that can cause you to go crazy and could cause a little bit of trauma of like, you know, um, I'm praying, nothing's happening, there's no miracles, so it's if there's no God it must be a devil type of thing. I don't know. I can't really say it but she had a direct battle with spirituality and her faith because you could see she was a faithful woman. She was faithful to her family, loyal to God. And then it's almost like God forsaked her when she got, you know, raped and her son got killed. And then when her husband brought her to California to this place where it's even worse, like these people are sophisticated white races, you know, um, I think it just started chipping away at her mentals. And then she started to look at, um, everyone, husband, her kids, everyone, as if it was like, you know, an enemy. So I think for um, Lucky, which was the wife, paranoia set in for her. And um, she started to like doubt her spirituality and doubt, you know, that type of stuff because she was a victim at every turn. And then it's like, if you've been through something like that and your husband's like, oh, well, let's move over here where it's more white people traumatizing you further. You was kind of start looking at him crazy, too. Like, you know, I don't know if, if he's here for me or what's his agenda, right? And that's what she started to do. And then, like, she's, you know, like, we got to leave. It's, um, it's crazy here. I'm leaving. And then he just was like, no, it's fine. You know, even though he knows he's going through his own stuff, too, the husband. He's like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. He's leaving her there all day with these people on the block, torturing her, right? Dropping off the kid at school. The little girl, she's like sweetest little girl, Gracie, such a cute actress. And um, she's, you know, her, her demon was school, you know, because she's very smart. She's highly intelligent. But her teacher, her, her demon was in the form of a teacher that was very mean and abusive to her. So I think that that represented, um, you know, just a black student in a segregated, for the most part, classroom now trying to be the one to desegregate the classroom, and you know, no one even no one cares. The teacher doesn't care. The students don't care. Like no one cares, right? And um, I think that that was her demon of like, you know, I gotta, I'm alone in this classroom, I'm alone. You know, they try to make it seem like I don't know, and I'm very smart, you know, and I'm alone in my convictions of being, you know, knowing what I know. So I think with her, um, her demon was a school teacher, and it was really more so just the fact that she's wanting a teacher that can nurture her and love her. And I think also, um, it was kind of coupled in with like, they saw their mom unraveling, the two daughters and the husband saw the mom unraveling, which uh, very much. So she should, because she got raped, lost her son, all type of stuff prior to moving here. And now y'all being tortured here. So they seen the mother going crazy or unraveling. And they made a vow to themselves, the two girls, like, we're not going to be like that. We're not going to be like mom. So the little girl said, I want to be a teacher. And then the other, the oldest one would read like the Teen Vogue magazines with the pretty white girls on the cover. And you could kind of see who they idolize because the little one read a book that had like a white teacher in it named Miss Vera and she's the teacher and she's uh, so nice to the students and she, and she loves her and she wants to be like Miss Vera. However, her experience when she goes into an actual classroom is completely different than what she has experienced with, you know, or what she envisioned it would be, you know, through her book you know living vicariously through her novel and you know that character miss vera so she started to get haunted by the teacher in the book you know and um really in reality what it is is it was like a combination of teacher mother i think for the little one i think the little one was losing her mom because the mom was going through something and so she couldn't be there emotionally for her children and be a nurturing mother that she normally is and i think the youngest one just kind of was out back like i need Someone to look up to and I need someone to be nurturing to me. And so she kind of created that character of the teacher, Miss Vera, who ended up being evil because I think that kind of coupled in with, you know, everything that there was going on in their real life with the racism, the um, segregation from school, the neighbors. So I think all of that coupled into and culminated this evil teacher in her mind. The sister, Ruby, Ruby was like a teenager. Ruby was in high school. Like I told you, she was reading Teen Vogue magazine. And I told you that her dad dropped off at school ever so nonchalantly, not even thinking about, oh, she might have a bad day because these people are being rough and she's not even getting into the building yet. You know, like, so she comes to the conclusion of her own mind because, A, once again, really and truly Every one of these characters were going through something that does not justify the parents neglecting the kids like this emotionally, but there was a lot of emotional neglect from, uh, from the parents to the kids, right? So the, the daughter was literally crying out to the dad, like, you know, I don't want to be like, mom, I don't, you know, I don't, is this good? Are you sure this is fine? You know, and he's not even recognizing her apprehensions. He's just like, go, you're going to be fine. You're going to do great. You're going to have a good day. But it's like he's lying to himself and lying to her, you know. Like he wants to believe that, but he knows it's not the case. But he's going to tell his daughter that anyway. And then because of that, it just shows a, a level of disconnect because as the parents, they were going through something and they couldn't really um vocalize or verbalize that to their kids. And then vice versa, the kids was going through something and they couldn't verbalize that to their parents. So they all suffered in silence and they all was, you know, coming up with their own resolution, if that makes any sense. So, like, um, a lot of them created these figments of imaginations because they were going crazy. The stress level was high, and it just caused them to, like, create escapism for themselves, like f- create a way for them to, you know, step away from the, the harsh reality or the trauma that they were living in. So, Ruby, the daughter in high school, she created a, a fake friend, right, the friend was a beautiful, blonde, white girl. And, you know, she's like, oh, you're so pretty. Giving her all these compliments, right? The white girl was giving Ruby all these compliments. And she's like, let's let's cut class. So she cuts class and she's hanging out with the white girl in the janitor um, office or janitor closet. And then, um, you know, she's putting on makeup, all this stuff, right? So I don't know. It was just like the way the scenes are set up. It started to make me feel like this isn't a real girl. This is a figment of her imagination. Because at first it made you feel like it was a real girl. But then after a while, you come to the conclusion like this is a figment of Ruby's imagination and this is her escapism. This is how she, what she's using to escape the trauma that she's dealing with daily at home and at school. So, and and the reason why I say escapism because, um, in her mind, she created an imaginary friend. Like how many kids, how many people, you know, without trauma, or maybe we don't know what type of trauma, but have imaginary friends or had imaginary friends. You know what I'm saying? Like I had a, a cousin when she, we were little, she had an imaginary friend and we used to have to play and make dinner plates for her too. And we're playing Barbies and we got to get a Barbie for her imaginary friend too. Like, you know, we did that, but it wasn't like my cousin was mental. She was a little kid. But at the same time, when you start to get older and you start to create that, is an escapism. I think even when you're a kid is an escapism, you know what I'm saying? Cause my cousin was an only child, but you know what I'm saying? So you make you think, right. But um, I even think that it's an escapism because there's escaping from what they're dealing with. You know, like she's dealing with the segregation at school, the bullying at school, the teachers bullying her, like the, the, the boy, like she answered the question and answered the question correctly. And they started making monkey noises, like, hoo, 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 you know, all that stuff or whatever in the classroom and made a big scene. She starts crying. The teacher doesn't send any of them that started that to the office. They send her to the office. And guess what the note was said? The note said, distracting the class. So I'm doing my work. I'm answering the questions correctly. And because they want to make monkey noises towards me insinuating I'm a monkey, I'm the distraction. So you could just see how that was building up for Ruby. Like, oh, my God, there's no escape from... This bullshit, you know what I'm saying? So she created an escape for herself with her friend. I want to say the friend's name was something weird, like Doris or something. I would totally look it up for you guys. Give me one moment here. I really want to say it was Doris. Don't ask me why. Boom, here we go, the cast. So, yep, I was right. Doris was Ruby's friend. So, um,. After a while, she was like, you know, she would share all of her aspirations with Doris. Like, I want to be a cheerleader. I would love to do this. I would love to go to the bonfire and parties and all that stuff, right? So Doris is her friend. Like, she's like, girl, you're beautiful. You can do it. You you, can, you should wear makeup. And so she's putting on makeup on her. She's like, you know, Doris is getting her dressed up. And she's like, you're beautiful. Then one day she comes to her and says, hey, girl, I tried out for the chilling squad and I made it. So... After school, we got to practice. You're going to come with me to practice. So she's talking to the girl and she's like, no, I'm not going to, you know, they probably don't want me there. Like, you know, you should, you think it'll be okay. She's like, you're my friend. You're coming with me to practice. So then now it goes to this weird scene. And I say weird because when I watch movies and I think I said this before, I think I might've said this, um, on that episode that I did about Aretha and them. But I, when I watch shows, I watch it from an analytical standpoint, versus just like watching it for the element of surprise. So I'm looking at like, something is going on here. And let me look at this, the way this scene is set up. So the way this scene was set up, they're sitting in like a gym. She's sitting up against the wall, watching the cheerleaders practice. And they're just saying like the same chair over is one chair. And they're saying it over and over again. But then as the camera pans through the girls that are cheerleading, all of them look exactly alike. So to me, I feel like that was also a figment of Ruby's imagination. But it was like, in her mind, what she considered beautiful, which was like the blonde hair, blue-eyed, you know, cheerleader, popular girl from school. Even her fake best friend was blonde hair, blue-eyed, popular-looking type of girl. So I guess she figured to herself that if she didn't have those natural aesthetics that she was not beautiful. Right, and started to chip away at her self esteem and chip away at her mental. In my opinion, her scene was the most triggering, and you saw I had to take like, a pause just now for that because when they um show her raveling or spiraling out of control, it was kind of sad because she was a young girl, and she just started to want to be white. She went from having an imaginary friend until basically imagining that she's white, and then um I don't know where the hell she found a bucket of white paint, but old girl painted herself white and found some, I don't know if it was a wig or whatever, or if it was some like yarn, but glued it to her hair to look like blonde hair and went to the bonfire party. So she's at the bonfire party where all of her classmates, 99% white are out there dancing and drinking and having fun. And at first they wouldn't have even paid her any attention until she walked up to the front of the fire and stood in front of the fire and started doing the cheerleading routine that she had playing over and over again in her head, because apparently that wasn't real either, the cheerleaders. So she's doing the chairs and she's carrying on, and then people just stop. Like the white people were traumatized, like, what the fuck is going on here? And then you just see her cheering, and then when she starts to realize that they're not loving her, and they start to realize, like, I'm not white, you could tell like that reality kicked back in and she ran home. So definitely just with them painting her white and all that stuff. Her trauma was, I think I would have a better life as a white girl because um, it's hard for me as a black girl. And, you know, she saw how hard it was for her mom, her sister, her dad. And, you know, so she figured if she was to be a white girl, it would be better for her. Also that scene reminded me of another movie that had a very triggering scene like that but um Precious. I only saw that movie Precious once. Shout out to Monique and Gabrielle Citerbay for that piece of work. But um it was a part in Precious where you know she was abused. The girl was abused. So she would like get dressed to go to school every morning and she would look in the mirror. And she didn't see herself. She saw a pretty blonde girl with white hair and she's like combing her hair, like stroking her hair and stroking her face, like admiring her complexion because in her mind, that was her escapism. Press, if you ne- if you never seen that movie precious, look that up, look that movie up. Trust me. You'll see what I'm talking about It totally correlates to Ruby, which also lets me know that that's a thing, you know, maybe, um, not as obvious these days as it was in those days, as far as people like feeling like that and going through that type of mental trauma. But, um, I say, I think it is still relevant because like, for example, you see, like, I see, you know, I see a lot. I'm not going to say all the time cause I have friends of all complexions, all races, nationalities, ethnicities. So I don't try to divide anybody, but I have seen in the black community where, uh, you know, a woman, a girl might not even be high yellow. She's not even high yellow. She's just maybe a little bit light brown, and she's like, "Oh, she's dark skin. Look at that! You know, she's ugly." It was this one girl that um, I'm so happy I don't hang around her anymore. But um, those are my like I told you, I don't know if I said it in this here, but it was I was having a conversation about you know how um you could be around when you're not around your tribe, it can traumatize you, just like with Ruby. You know, like with Ruby going to that school and all the kids are clicked up and they have their tribe and she's the standout one. because She's like her dad's trying to desegregate the school single handedly with his daughter and she was output. She was, you know, um, she was ostracized. And as a result of that, it made her go crazy and she created an imaginary friend. Right. So I don't know. I I, I just, it made me think of this girl because every time we would go somewhere, this girl, this was like years ago, I would hang out with this girl and we would go out and she would be like, ew, he's ugly. Every guy that she said was ugly was dark skin. And then she would be like, oh my God, that lady's ugly. Like say if we're riding the car and she'll be like, just, you know, people watching. Oh my God, that's, that's a, a funny looking lady. And you look over, it's a dark skin lady. And then, you know, to me, I took a little bit of offense to that because my mother's dark skin, you know what I'm saying? My grandmother is biracial, which is my mother's mother, you know what I'm saying? But my mother was a dark skinned lady with, is a dark skinned lady with beautiful hair. You know what I'm saying? Like my mother doesn't perm her hair. She doesn't put chemicals in her hair because she doesn't have to, you know what I'm saying? But it's also about DNA. Like my grandmother got with a chocolate dude and had a chocolate baby. Because, you know, nine times out of ten, light-skinned women like dark-skinned men. We already know this. But women tend to be a little bit more superficial towards each other. So all I that all to say is I've seen that, where um it kind of comes down to the hate of themselves. So they project that on you, like, oh, you're dark-skinned. I don't like you. Or you're light-skinned. I don't like you. Or, Your hair's nappy. Oh, that's disgusting. Your hair's straight. Oh, that's disgusting. And just hating on each other for no reason. So, and... It comes back to the um, lack of empathy towards each other, I feel. So when we fail to empathize towards each other, we're going to do what? Ostracize and hate each other. And that's when everything else comes into play. So that's what happened with Ruby. And then she kind of realized that she fucked up and painted herself white. And then she went home. So she's like, Ma, something's wrong with me. Oh, my God. And the mother's like, you think something's wrong with all of us, you know? So the mom now... Being that, you know, she's the matriarch and she has to be the one to bring her family back together and get her family out this bullshit. She snapped out of it and she was like, you know what? I got to go ahead and get my family right. So she actually was, I don't want to give away the whole show type of thing because I think you guys would find it. Once you get past some of that trauma porn, it's. Very insightful because it makes you look at stuff from a different perspective, from the perspective of those times. Plus, you know, like how those people that might have lived in those times, like how they feel today. And then just give you just a different psychological perspective of what black people might be going through because of the norms that are put in front of them. Like, think about it. If you're if you're all you see on TV, all you see on Vogue is beautiful, skinny white women saying that this is beautiful, and you see your black guys lusting after that, you see Spanish guy, every man is lusting after this skinny white woman, then we're going to start feeling like, damn, we must be fucked up and ugly then if we're not skinny and white, you know what I'm saying? And then you can see where it plays out. Like, then you see some people get blue eye contacts. Some people start wearing blonde weaves. Some people start doing um, things to look more European, you know, because they think that that's beauty. You know, and I see, those same people, like, you know how many times I've had, I've never had, and this is the irony of life here. I've never had a white person say to me, you know, if you had a perm in your hair, you'd be prettier. Or if you wore straight hair, or if you put a weave in, you'd be a knockout. I never had a black, I mean, excuse me, a white person say that to me. Always a black woman always a black woman that says to me that my natural hair is not good enough and I would be better looking if I wore a wig or weave or perm or just something that's not my hair, you know? Whereas um, I, I feel like that's – I beg to differ. I disagree with that, you know, but I also see that as part of the problem. It's like part of a lot of people trying to – not trying to, but do it, conforming – to, you know wearing weaves wearing contacts you know bleaching their skin even and don't get me wrong to each his own I'm not judging you but kind of recognize where it comes from I think we'll be better off as people if we recognize that this is trauma and where it comes from you know like so I think that they did a good um like the show them did a good job of highlighting that with Ruby like you know A lot of black girls are told they're not cute. You know, they got, you know, nappy hair. Their hair isn't good enough. Their complexion isn't good enough. You know, they're just not good enough because they're black, you know. And then, you know, it sent her into a tailspin to the point that she went and dipped her whole body in white paint and glued some rope on her hair like, I'm white now. And was really out there like, I'm white, you know. And it's sad. Like, that was probably one of the most, probably the saddest scene that I've seen in that whole series, because I was like, wow, look at this, you know, they even touching on this, you know, so there you go, there you have it, but, um, the trauma goes both ways, the racism goes both ways, because I've been exposed to it on both ends, black people and white people, so I don't know what you want to call me, the unicorn, I don't know, but, um, I think that it should stop, so then, um, yeah, I feel like the dad, he was the biggest Sambo with the, with his dude, with his ghost or whatever, which was, a white man dressed in blackface that sounded really black. Cause the whole time I thought it was a black man and like, what you gonna do singing that to him and stuff. And then the dad was like, you know, I'm going to kill my family. If I can't do the right thing by them, I'm going to put everybody out there in misery. And then I think like the Sambo was trying to urge him into killing himself, you know, cause he was like, you only have one bullet. Use it wisely. You know, that's what the Sambo was saying to him. So I'm thinking he wanted him to kill himself because, hey, one more, another black man down, right? Like, we got one. We don't got to worry about no more. So his wife came and saved him, though, ironically. When he couldn't be there to save his wife, she was there to save him and to pull him back from the edge twice because he came back from the war. He had PTSD. He was messed up. She saved him. Then, um he started going crazy he was about to kill himself she saved him so yeah she did that quite a few times of saving her husband and then um what I was gonna say yeah so it's like the wife was like an unsung hero after she got her shit together but she had to go through a lot her demon was basically a old white preacher you know that I told you he was you know had his own demons he was battling it was like he loved black people but then everyone around him didn't so he felt like He had to do the right thing based on, you know, for his people. But in reality, he originally started out looking at everyone. We're all human. We're all God's children. So he was nice to the black people at first, but then he tortured them. So with all that being said, this happened in the house that they lived in, like in the 1800s when it was like farmland and not a house. And then he died there and then he came back to haunt the people that lived there. So now, is this movie a 10, this show a 10 to me? No. Is it a must watch? Yes. The reason why I say that is because just anyone, you know, if you go watch some horror movies and so half of the bullshit that we do watch, you should be able to watch this, which touches on a little bit of, you know how they say, um, art imitates life. So it's touching on a little bit of life here, you know, especially life in those times. And then you can kind of see how shit, if, if it was so blatant and out there like that, then. You know, you can kind of understand the journey we're on now and how we ended up where we are in, to say in today's society with racism and hate and all that stuff, right? So it was very traumatizing, but um, it was in a weird way interesting. Now, the only thing I didn't like um to me, I feel like there really weren't any heroes, if that makes any sense, because it was like they were all traumatized. You know, the people, the neighborhood was still traumatizing them. And, you know, like it just it just didn't end on a satisfying note for me to feel like, yeah, their problems are solved. But I did hear that they green lighted a season two. So maybe that's probably why they left it lingering like that to kind of roll into the next season. But I did want to give you a caveat character. I got to tell you about Miss Betty. I want to say her name was Wendell. Let me take a look here at these characters. Her name, let me see here. Her, the actress is Alison Pill, and she played, let me see, let me go back. She played Elizabeth, Elizabeth on the show. So Elizabeth was married to, like, Clark, I think it was, or something. But um, just to give you perspective, she was the it thing on the block. She was, this was an all-white all, blo- all white block. Her husband's very um prominent in the community. Her father's prominent in the community. Her mother, like, they have money. You know, so she's very influential on her HOA board, her neighborhood watch. You know, she's influential with the real estate agents and who they bring into the neighborhood to look at the house. You know, she's very involved in her neighborhood because this is her home. So when the real estate agent, which you could tell didn't like the lady, moved in the black people, She was devastated. And then she started going around the neighborhood like, we got to get them out of here. They are terrorists, blah, blah, blah. So she was the one that organized like the sitting in in front of their house and they all like playing their radios loud and just looking at the house. Nothing happened, nothing worked. She organized like um, home association meetings and she's like, we got to kill them. They're like, relax, we're not killing them. Like maybe we can get them out, but it's not that serious. Half of the white people that were living in the neighborhood, they're – they financially was able to go to the next level in life. So they started to build houses in Beverly Hills and in, you know, Malibu. So the people that were in Compton that were, you know, when they were working class now got the ability to get more funds and more finances. So they're like, you know, this was cool while it lasted, but you know what? Black people are moving in. We're going to move up to Beverly Hills. Well, Betty, who was like the main, protagonist, I should say, main antagonist, and then also the main, you know, like, I'm, this is my block, we're white pride over here, and you're not going to, you know, ruin our block, she was stuck, her husband, ironically, even though they look prominent, and they look like they had money, her husband either had a gambling problem, or some type of addiction, they didn't really talk about it, they loosely touched on it, but they insinuated that he stole all their money, all her savings so she didn't have any money and he was doing all of this while she's focusing on getting rid of the black people so this character here white lady goes to show you how all of her demons and all of like on the flip side you saw like the black lady is giving herself demons and saying like you know shit is wrong the black man got the sambo demon that's his conscience the daughter was got the little white girl demon because she wants to be white at school the other one wants to, you know, be a good student. She got the teacher demon, you know what I'm saying? So, like, all that stuff, right? So, that's how the black people, and I don't know if it's because we're from Africa and we are spiritually connected that we c- it can come off like that. We can kind of see it, experience it, feel it. Don't get me wrong. I feel like white people have experienced extraterrestrial and spiritual stuff as well. So, I don't think it's just limited to us. But I know it's not limited to, to us. But um, all I have to say is um, she missed all her signs of all who her real demons were, okay? So, she had all her demons ironically were white men and demon. Number one, her father, sexually molested her, they didn't say it for sure, but they insinuated because after she found out demon number two, her husband stole the money, stole all the life savings and she had not a cent to her name. The only thing that she could do was resort to going back to her father for help financially because she still had to pay this mortgage, play this house and and upkeep, maintain this upkeep in life that she has, you know, portrayed for so long. So she goes to her dad and her mother's there and the mother's like, oh man, I wish you would have never came back here. And the dad was like, well, she came back because she know what's up. She missed me. Now go run a bath for her because I can't touch her unless she clean. So how do you take that? I took that as straight molestation. Like he was molesting her. So she goes upstairs now to take the shower. And then she's sitting on the bed and she realizes this isn't right. Now I'm about to fuck my daddy to get some money because my husband stole all my money. So she leaves and she leaves from the house. So, granted, he was molesting her up until you know she got an adult, and you can see. So that's demon number one in her life. But does she view him as a demon? No, because where did she go when she needed help? Right to him. And even though she knew what she had to do, and that's when it came to the play where the point where she was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm leaving. But she still trusted him, uh, trusted him enough to the point to go back to him, even after she was violated several times prior to. Right. And the mother was like, I wish you never came back here. So just let you know, like she's not she's haunted by demons that she don't realize, if that makes any sense. The character Betty. So then the second demon is the husband. He's um still on her money. And then she's like, oh, you know, you got to get rid of the black family. So he's doing stuff to pacify her, like go over there and like you stay away from my house and you keep your shit over. There. Like, you know, he's pacifying his wife by playing the role of like, I care about, you know, getting rid of the black people. But he really didn't. He didn't care about the one way or the other because he was too occupied with what he had going on. We don't know if it was a woman. We don't know if it's drugs. We don't know if it's a gambling problem. They never really tell you in the show, but he's not really there a lot and he's occupied. He's preoccupied. So um, that's her demon number two. Her demon number three, which probably was the worst of them all, was her milkman. So let me break this down to you. Picture this, 1953, Compton, beautiful housewives. Think of, it reminds me of like a weird, desperate housewives, if you remember that show on ABC back in the day, how all the ladies would come out into the yard and they're all like, oh my God, the mailman is a cutie, you know, type of stuff. So all of them gathered when the milkman would come to deliver the milk and he would drop off all the milks on all their porch Because this is 1953, so you know how that rolled. They brought you milk you bring out the empty glass, et cetera. So... He brings the milk, you know, and um, all the other ladies are like, you know, gussied up. They're trying to flirt with him or catch his attention, and he's just like, "Evening, ladies," and he keeps on going. But then when he gets to Betty, which is the, you know, the the prima donna of the block, and she's like, she calls herself the Block Association. He likes her, so he'll beeline it past everybody and go to Betty, sit with Betty, have tea. Like every time he comes over to deliver milk they were in there having tea. But on the outside, because, you know, this perception is reality, people thought that they were having an affair. And people thought, because, you know, all the husbands left and went to work in the morning. And all the women were on the block throughout the day by themselves. So by the time the milkman came, there was no husbands around to say, hey, what the fuck is he doing over there at Betty's house? You know, there was no husbands there. It's just the wives. So the wives that are there are left to their own speculation so you could tell where they just assumed that they was having sex and that they were in a promiscuous affair but in reality betty was actually a sweet lady to some you know in her world i would say she was a lady meaning that she wasn't a hoe she wasn't cheating on her husband and she just really liked the attention of the milkman for two reasons i think i think the first one is because her husband didn't pay her attention and the second one is because all the ladies liked him If it was a thing that they didn't pay him any attention, she wouldn't give him no time of day. That's how I feel. So she had her selfish reasons for being friends with the milkman and inviting him in and having tea just to make it look a little bit more personable than it was, right? So in the process of all this, she starts to tell him and starts to vent to him about her neighbors and, you know, black people and blah, 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 right? So he's like you know, that's messed up, you know, you know, just like any guy that's trying to get into your pants, he's going to say the things that you think you want him to say. So he's like, oh man, you know, if you ever need me to do anything, I got your back. I'll do it for you. You know, if your husband don't do anything, you let me know. I'll do it. Right. But that's just a dude that's trying to impress you. Right. So a couple of scenes down the line there, um, she gets into the altercation with Lucky, which is the black wife from across the street. And Lucky smacks the dog shit out of Betty. Like, Best scene ever smacks the dog shit out of her. So when she smacks her, she's like flustered and she runs back into the house. She fucking Tasmanian devil. Her house rips up everything, rips down wallpaper, all this stuff, toss around furniture. Then she makes a phone call and she says, Hey, I need to get away. I'm coming to see you. Now, the milkman, let me back it up a bit. He said to her, whenever you need to get away, if you ever want to get away, come to the farm. You can spend the day with me, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you know, Clark would love that. And that's her husband. And you could see the, the milkman's face dried up like, I don't want Clark. I want you to come. So I think she peeped it too because this day when she found out that Clark stole her money and her daddy's molesting her and the black girl smacked the shit out of her, she said, I'm going to see the milkman because, you know, she was looking for that, um, empathy that shoulder to cry on right so she gets out there and she starts you know like telling him like i can't do this blah blah blah. she smacked me blah 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 i need you to do something that you promised me that you would kill them and he's looking like uh yeah but let's talk about it like come inside relax let's talk about it and she's like please you got to do it he's like I-, I could do it but let's let's go inside so they go inside right she um they go inside He's like, let me give you something to drink. He gives her something to drink. As she's drinking it, dude is like, man, I'm so happy. I could die right now. Like, who would have thought that you would have just came here like this? And she's like, okay, whatever. Next, you know, she passes out. Dude drugs her. She wakes up in a bunker underground that he decorated just like her house. Wallpaper and everything. Like a small mini version of her house. Girl. So, He's down there with her, and he's like, you know, I love you. Your husband doesn't treat you right, blah, blah, blah. And so she at first cooperates with him because she's like, what the fuck am I doing here? What the hell is this? Okay. So you can see that she was, like, surviving, using her survival skills at first. So she's like, okay, yeah, um, no problem if you want me here why don't you let me stay in the big house with you he's like no 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 it's quiet down here which I didn't understand that part either because she was kind of cooperating with him she kissed him she kind of was cooperating with him he was bringing her food and he was like you don't wear enough pink and he brought like pink dresses and so she's down there in this bunker living with him well he didn't live there he would lock her in and he would go to his house which was upstairs and then come back down bring her food etc but had it there for a couple of weeks so now while she's there missing for a couple of weeks they swear up and down that the black family took her and killed her because she's, she was so obsessed with the black family and so obsessed. Like that's all she could talk about to anyone that would listen is I got to get rid of this black family. So if you're so obsessed like that to talk about someone and then something happens to you, they're instantly going to go back and be like, you know what? It might've been the, you know, the Emery's because she hated them and they hated her. Right. So they, um, started, you know, they ramping up their racism and their racial actions towards the, f- the black family on the block. They're, like, burning shit, breaking windows. They broke into the house and beat up the daddy, trying to hang him in the basement. Like, they was going all out, all out, brawl out, right? I'm talking about trauma level on 10. Then, um, come to find out, none of them had nothing to do with this woman's issue. She voluntarily went to a white milkman that she... Was trying to get to kill the black people for her, but guess what happened? She come to the conclusion that she didn't want to be there no more. So she tried to like attack him and leave. And then she got up, you know, she got out the bunker. She was up, you know, what I'm saying, on ground. She looked around. She's like, oh, you know, I'm free. She started running and running full speed. And the dude shot her in her back, killed her. The mailman, the milkman, shot her and killed her. Why? Because you sometimes don't see who your biggest threat is. You know, you'll be so focused on someone that's not the threat or something that's not even a fact, a portion or a third of your threat, you know, and we'll focus on that versus, you know, trying to really focus on what's happening and be aware. You know? So um, I think that that was her issue, clearly. You know, like you'll sit there and then she's like so focused on them that she didn't see her own threats. And she didn't even see her own threats as threats because they were white, you know? So it was like, oh, they're not bad, you know? And it just goes to show you, another thing I thought was I, was ironic was, you notice how they always put, like, missing people on milk cartons? What is that about? And did they use this character make her go missing in a milkman taker for that whole narrative? I thought that was kind of interesting there. But um, it was just crazy because it shows you, like, hey, yeah, you think that this person's a threat. Or you think that this right here is going to cause you the demise? No, not at all. You know what's going to cause you to demise? You not recognizing your threats, you know, and and not recognizing what you should be aware of. So yeah, I mean, overall, damn, I would give it on a scale of 1 to 10, a 7. Just because the trauma was on overload, like, I can't take it. Like, I really can't take it. You know, I'm looking forward to some lighthearted shit, like, you know, something else other than black trauma. Like, I'm trying to think of something, and it's sad because I can't even really think of anything without black trauma in it. Like, snowfall is good, but it's trauma. You know, um, power, it's good, but it's trauma. Um, Shit. You know, Lovecraft Country t- died at the end. Trauma. You know, them, trauma, you know. So I just really wish we can kind of get back to a spot of where um, we don't have to be all about the black porn or black trauma porn when our movies, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to see another movie about a kid getting killed by the police. I don't want to see another movie about no hanging or no slavery, and um, this era, though, believe it or not, I'm about to contradict myself here because Lovecraft Country, as well as them, both were set in an era, a time frame that you don't really hear a lot about. You just hear rumors of how it was or whispers of how it was. But um, no one never really put it on the fucking big screen like that. You know, like, hey, look, we're going to do a show about Chicago, 1953. Or we're going to do a show about Compton, 1953. And then when you think of like Compton, 1953... You know, you see all these white people. It's like, oh wow, and it just brings you back to the reality of like everything changes and everything had a start in point. You know, so yeah, you know that's what I just wanted to say about that. I just thought that was interesting, and I thought that um at the same time it was just ha, ah, it was a lot. It was a lot to take in. Still, it's like ten episodes, so I gave you just a mini breakdown. OK, and honestly, some of them stuff you would ha- might have to watch twice. I didn't. So I just gave you the great graze over because I'm pretty sure I missed out a lot of details on stuff. But at the same time, I didn't want to give you everything. So in that case, if you do choose, you want to go see it, you can see it. And if you like it or if you have an opinion or if it's something that I missed, please hit me up and let me know so we can discuss it. I'm always on, you know, Facebook, Girls Who Manifest. I am on um, Lovecraft. Country discussion group. I'm also, you know me. You can go to my Instagram, DM me, hit me up. I am very friendly, very approachable. I have an open door policy, so you guys can talk to me. You know, does don't bring no trauma and no trauma porn my way because I don't got time for that. I don't. Um, another thing. Um, yeah. So. Next couple of weeks here, I will be doing some more interviews. So I'm looking forward to that. Like I told you earlier in this episode, I will be bringing DJ Sarah K back to do a, a, a better mix because that was my fault. Don't blame it on her. Blame it on me and my sound on my side. But it's all good. We're going to work that out. And um, I hope you guys are liking this. I hope you guys are liking the interviews I'm bringing forward. And I hope you guys are liking uh, my TV reviews because I am really committed to these guys for y'all. You know, to this for you all. It's like accountability on my part. Like I say, hey, I want to give you movie reviews food reviews, um, music stuff, and my life. And so I think I'm doing a great job with that. I give myself on the back because I'm actually about to end this here soon because I'm getting a headache. I told you I had surgery this week. And, um, yeah, in certain spurts, I'm good. Other spurts, I'm not. I got to lay it back down. So I think right now that's what I will be doing is laying it back down and resting my face. And um yeah, I'll get back to you guys later on. Once again, you know, I wanna send a rest in peace and uh much, you know, condolences to the um DMX family of DMX, family of Black Rob, family of Shock G from Digital Underground. And um just because this was the dark episode, I don't really wanna end it with a dark song. So I'm gonna end this with the Humpty Dance from Shock G, because um that was a that was a, a awesome song. I I, re, I still remember where I was when that song came out. Okay, I remember what I was doing. I remember where I was at. It, it's awesome, you know. Another thing, another person on an uplifting note. I want to shout out Redman and Method Man for that verses. Definitely, definitely top three verses for me. I don't know about y'all. I loved it from beginning to end. Some people are like it's not a you know it's not a verses. Honestly, none of these verses are battles. These verses are appreciations you know, for each other, and they did a hell of a job, and that would made me feel good is to see that he was 50 and 51 years old, shout out to DJ Cool, 63 years old, came out there, killed it, you know, um, RZA, it was dope, it was dope, it was a overall really awesome verses, and I'm pretty sure you could probably catch the replay on it, you know, like on YouTube or something, if you didn't catch that, so shout out to them, that was so dope, you know, another thing I just want to say is, um, yeah, you know, in these times, it's hard, because we're seeing a lot of trauma porn, not only on TV, not only on shows, but we're seeing it on social media. We're seeing it um, in the streets, you know, we're seeing it amongst our communities on TV, you know, it's like we can't get away from it, it's like closing in on us. And I really wish that we could change that, um, that narrative. And instead of being so dark that we could kind of highlight, you know, as much shares as you know, a kid getting shot by the police is getting, let's share a kid getting accepted into an Ivy League school. You know, let's accept, let's share, you know, other stuff other than trauma, you know? So that's what I want to um leave y'all with. Like right now, I'm, I told y'all before, I'm moving with intention. So i am been cleaning up my Instagram, I've been cleaning up my social media platforms and using them for specific things. So like say, gongly is the music. So if we're not music friends or if we're not, you know, if it's not related to music per se, I probably won't reach out to you on that platform. You know what I'm saying? And vice versa, on my Clean Eat Wings platform, it's all foodie, all food blogging, all foodie reviews. So I don't know, like, until I get a little bit more, you know, you know, get to see a little bit more results from what I'm trying to do here. I kind of just want to keep everything with intent. And so, like, look for the music over here on Gangly MC. You look for the food on Kalini Wings. If you want anything else related to the music or booking, that's DoRecords.com. The podcast even has its own Instagram right now, and that's She Can Talk Podcast. And the reason why I'm doing it is because I don't want you guys having to scroll through a timeline of freestyles and you know, shows I performed at to find my latest episode for She Can Talk. So I gave you guys a direct area to go ahead and check it out. All right, I'm not going to hold you guys. I talked to y'all long to death, and um, my head is splitting, uh, so I got to take some medicine and lay it back down, guys. But um, keep me in your prayer. Send me some healing energies my way. I'm doing good. I feel good. I'm out the woods as far as, you know, I, my teeth are gone that I was extracted, but just the healing process. So keep me in your prayers. And you know my motto. If you like it, tell a friend. If you don't like it, tell a friend. It ain't gonna hurt either way. Until next time, y'all, stay blessed. Love yourself because you can't love me if you don't love you. All right, y'all be good out there and stay safe. Peace. All
1: right, stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to. I look funny. Come on, I do the Humpty Hump, check me out y'all, I do the Humpty Hump, just watch me do the Humpty Hump, yeah, do you know what I'm doing, doing the Humpty Hump, come on, I do the Humpty Hump, I <laughs> do the Humpty Hump. People say you're Humpty, you're really funny looking That's alright cause I get things cooking You stare, you glare, you constantly try to compare me But you can't get near me I'm giving more C and on the floor B All the girls they adore me Dance, and now I'm gonna do my dance The Humpty Dance is your chance to do the hump Come on, Yeah, sexy do baby, baby. Do the Come hump. on, uh, I'll do the Humpty do Hop hump. hump. do Sexy baby, do baby. baby. Do Everybody, come on and do, do the, the Humpty hump. 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 uh, Hop hump. do hump. 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 yeah. uh, I'll do you know what we the doing? with the wind The Humpty Hop, y'all I'll do the Humpty Hop Watch me do the Humpty Hop yeah, that's the break, y'all. let little that bass groove right here. Ah uh, yeah. Now that I told y'all a little bit about myself. Let me tell you a little bit about this dance. It's real easy to do. Check it out. First, I lift to the side like my legs was broken Shaking and twitching kinda like I was smoking Crazy whack funky People say you look like MC Hammer on crack Humpty That's alright cause my body's in motion It's supposed to look like a fit or a convulsion Anyone can play this game This is my dance y'all Humpty Hump's my name No two people will do it the same You got it down when you appear to be in pain humpin' Funkin', jumpin', dig around, shakin' your rump, and when a doo-doo-jump punk points a finger like a stump, tell him step off, I'm doin' the hump. The Humpty Dance is your chance to do the hump. Everybody! Uh, do the Humpty hump, Come on, I do the Hump. Come on, do the hump. the house. I'd like to send a shout out to the whole world. Keep on doing the Humpty Dance. And to all the ladies, peace and humpiness forever.